Good morning. It's Saturday, October 31st. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween, Ashley. Trick or treat. Trick or treat. Um, and you're listening to Morning Meeting from Airmail. I'm Ashley Baker, the style editor of Airmail. And I am Michael Haney, one of the deputy editors here of Airmail. Well, Michael, we're three days away from the election, and I have brought a very special guest on to kick us off this morning. We've got seven-year-old Charlie, my son, and he knows all about what's at stake. So, Charlie, what are your thoughts on the election? We're three days away. I don't know yet, but I think I'm voting for Joe Biden. How old do you have to be to vote in this country? 18. Oh, good. Okay. And what do you think happens if we have another four years of Donald Trump? I think he's just going to, like, ruin the world. Well, there you have it, folks. All right, that's the seven-year-old view. Michael, how are you feeling? I voted early this week, got my vote in. I went over to my in here in New York City. Brooke and I got up early to do early voting at our parish at the new sort of like the, the city has set up these early voting locations and one of them which is St. Anthony of Padua Parish over on Houston Street. We got there. It polls open at 7 a.m. We thought we'll be an early bird for early voting. We'll get there at about 6 a.m. And of course there was already a line down Houston, down Thompson, around on Prince Street. But I have to say, super efficient. We were inside and out within an hour. I would say if you haven't early voted yet, do it now. I'm feeling that we have to do our part, actually. That's how I'm feeling. How about you? I feel the same. I voted. It was a great feeling. I was misty-eyed the entire time. Everyone was very energized and buoyant to be there. Charlie has one more thing to say about Donald Trump. Go ahead. Donald Trump's going to destroy the world and all its nature. I agree. Got to take care of the environment, right? And the planet. Michael, it's, you know, I have to say, though, I, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. Like, I haven't slept very well. I've been getting up at four every day, not able to fall back asleep. And it's, you know, I wish this election came with a side of Xanax. I can give you a little Klonopin if you need it. Yes, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying about misty-eyed. I got to the polling place. First of all, as we were waiting, just when we got to the head of the line, this car service pulled up, a battered old car pulled up, and out of the back seat got this little old lady in a cane. And I'm going to get choked up now talking about it again. And this sort of crowd just parted, let her in, jumped the line. Here it is, 7 a.m. This woman had to be like weighing no more than 80 pounds. And she's making the effort. She's doing it. I got very choked up seeing that. And then I thought, as I just like you, as I was taking my pen and turning that white blank circle and filling it in, I started getting all choked up. And I realized, I know we all have so much emotion for this over the last four years. And then here it is. The day is here. And, you know, you're actually doing it. And I think I'd say to anyone, this is your such a rare right we have to do. So make it count. We're already at, as of today, we're recording this. Almost 70 million people have voted early. So please keep up the numbers, no matter where you fall, no matter who you want to vote for. This is on par to be the biggest turnout, they say, since 1908. So let's keep doing what we can do. But on a lighter note, today is Halloween. And you all know what my costume is going to be? Kimberly Guilfoyle. No, it's even scarier. What? I'm going as Mitch McConnell's hands. No! Yeah. How are you going to execute that? Just a surprise. That's the treat of the trick. You know, so, you know, look for me walking around the village as Mitch McConnell's really scary hands. And let's talk about our issue, Michael. You know, Michael, we have a great piece in the, in the issue this week from David Camp, and he talks about the Scranton touch. It turns out that his wife is from Scranton, and David has had a lot of experience with sort of the Joe Biden set from this particular region in Pennsylvania. And he has a really great perspective on, you know, everyone talks about like touchy Uncle Joe and, you know, showing all of these kind of moments where he looks like he's a little excessively emotive, perhaps. But 
but according to David, that's just the way they do things in Scranton among this particular set of Irish-American gentlemen of a certain generation. It's a really beautiful, smart piece with some lovely insight. And David is a good friend of mine and a very good friend of mine, as is his wife, Amy Bell, who is a former Vanity Fair editor, uh, now book uh, editor. And uh, she grew up in Scranton. He talks about a few years ago, he's at a family wedding, tight Irish Catholic group in Scranton, and an old college friend of his wife, a middle-aged man comes up to him with a startled look at his face. He says, I just met your father and grandfather, the friend says, and they both kissed me on the lips. To which Amy, his wife, says, welcome to the club. So David talks about just Scranton and, and that, that sort of hands-on, very a world of embracing. You, many of you, I'm sure, probably saw this video that went around uh, a few weeks ago where it was taken by a White House videographer back in 2018. It was at an event for families who had lost loved ones in the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas school shooting uh, in Parkland, Florida in 2018. And Joe Biden was there and he's seen the video. He's talking to the wife of one of the people who was killed there. And as he's about to turn away and go to the podium, this young man named Corey, one of the sons of Debbie, runs toward him. And Corey has what's called Kabuki syndrome. Uh, he's a learning challenge and he runs up to the vice president. He runs up to the vice president and he says, you know, that my dad is the one who passed away and Biden kisses him on the forehead, you know, and treats him with this incredible level of understanding and humility. I mean, we'd never see Trump do that. Yeah, no, the boy, the boy just runs up and, and just throws his arms around him and hugs Biden, right? Mm -hmm. And what is Biden's first response? Kiss he hugs him and then he says to him, thank you for hugging me. Right. Throughout this election cycle, I've been trying to figure out why Biden has been like sort of touching my heart this year. And I realized he reminds me in so many ways of my grandfather who passed away in 1996, 24 years ago. He has this humility to him and this ability to connect with people. He looks at you right in the eye, feels like you're, you feel like he's listening. You feel like he actually cares about your best interest at heart. He's not a selfish man. He's a moral person. It's a really simple choice in many ways. And Graydon gets to the heart of this matter in The View From Here this week. He writes, if you believe that an American president can be a person of absolutely no moral principles or moral compass, vote for Trump. It's that simple. Anyway, in the last few days, I've taken a lot of solace in reading, and we have a lot of great recommendations in airmail. And one of them this week is courtesy of our friend Reeves Wiedemann. Reeves, welcome to Morning Meeting. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. You're also a contributing editor at New York Magazine. How did you first sort of come across Adam and his story, and, and what sort of piqued your interest about it? Can you sort of give us a sense of the genesis of it? Yeah, sure. So I started reporting on the company in, in early 2019, and this was back when Adam and WeWork were flying high. They had just gotten a $47 billion valuation. They had elevated their mission statement to elevating the world's consciousness. And, and they really did feel like they were kind of taking over the world. And we at New York Magazine were, were interested because at the time our office was in Soho, back when we all had offices. And suddenly in the course of a, a few years, there were half a dozen WeWorks within half a dozen blocks of our office. So, so we initially just came to it as sort of trying to figure out how this company had risen so quickly and, and seemingly everywhere. And it was only in kind of reporting the story that we sort of realized there's this guy, Adam Newman, at the heart of it all and everything good and, and ultimately everything bad about the company sort of flowed through him. I have a friend and yeah, I, who back when we were all like, like wow, we work as a future. And I had a friend mm -hmm. who works in um, advertising. And uh, I said, I was tapping with Parkinson one day. I said, do you know this guy, Adam Newman, we work like, what's the way? Is that guy? And he said, listen, let me, let me tell you something. He said, that guy is full of shit. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, he said, I met with him like, this is before 
as you point out, like let's just set the the the, the table for the uh, our, our listener at home. At its peak, just before the IPO, Adam Newman and his money man partner, who uh, a son of yeah Masayoshi San from SoftBank, right? They believed they were going to get a one, not billion, but trillion dollar valuation, right? <laughs> it's like we all communal working was the future. It turns out working from home is the future. I mean, how things how <laughs> changed in the past year, right? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the there was this kind of moment. And, you know, it's interesting to think about your friend calling sort of BS on, on Adam. You know, some people did do that along the way. But but the story of WeWork was powerful. Like, you know, people wanted to believe that this could happen, that there was a better way of working, that these offices could actually make your day be better, and that maybe the company was capable of, of much more than just kind of running a nice co-working space with a keg and free coffee. So, of course, as, as you point out, Ashley, like the kind of irony now is is what WeWork offered, this kind of, these communal spaces are, are of course, kind of what we all want. In some way, we would love to hang out with colleagues and coworkers and whomever. But but now it's not something we can Drink have. Kombucha, okay. So as much kombucha as you can as you can stomach. And also free beer, which by the way, like who would take a free drink anywhere right now in COVID <laughs> times? I mean, yeah, a communal beer keg is is uh, sounds like a sort of pandemic nightmare. So not something we we want right now. It's as tempting as it sounds. Unless you're at a rose garden swing in ceremony or something, <laughs> but um. But uh, now you used the phrase just a minute ago, magical thinking. And I think that perfectly kind of encapsulates what he was doing. And as my friend said, you know, he said, to finish my story, he said, he said, I once sat down with the guy and he, his first question to me was, and he imitated Adam's accent, as I'm sure mm-hmm. you're aware of it. He said, he looks at my friend across the desk. He said, what is your superpower? Yep. And my friend said, what? Said, your superpower. What is your superpower? He says, my friend like walked out. He's like, this guy, what the, who, what? <laughs> like, how's this guy? What? You know, like who has this kind of stuff? It's just like, but as you point out in the book, it was somewhere between a business venture and cultish thinking no yeah and and i think you know it's it's easy to dismiss that and adam in in my interview with him asked asked me what what my superpower was as as well so it was his kind of sort of go-to shtick it's sort of easy to dismiss but there was this level at which like and employees talked to me about this, it, it, it did feel like a cult. It felt like belonging to a cult. And it, it felt like the, the parts of belonging to a cult that are enjoyable. It gave, it gave people a sense of purpose and meaning and mission to sort of what they were doing. They wanted to believe that the company wasn't just doing this simple thing, that it was changing the world and all these other things that Adam would get up on a stage and talk about. So, so for a while, it was just a sort of very compelling vision for people. And that went for employees who joined the company, that went for the tenants who, who took up space there. And it went for investors as well. Everyone kind of bought into this till they didn't and and sort of the scales fell from their eyes and they kind of realized that the reality of what they'd been doing didn't quite live up to the rhetoric. And like all cults, there is the message to the group. And then at some point, the group kind of finds out that the leader has some extra privileges that they Mm -hmm. don't really, right? Maybe like a an office with a soaking tub in it or whatever the hell you got in there. And- yep. Uh, you've got that. You've got a $60 million private jet, which is unusual for a company that's that's not yet uh, profitable. You know, it's you, you hold sort of WeWork's famous summer camp event and everyone's sleeping in tents uh, in the cold and the rain and, and you're up on a hill, uh, literally, in sort of a compound. It created this sort of uh, hypocrisy within the company that I think people looked past for a while, but but it eventually became impossible to ignore just how different sort of 
Adam seemed to treat his his own what he should have personally uh, versus the kind of things he was talking about the the company being able to do. So, which brings me to your piece in AML this week, mm-hmm. and it's it's sort of you chasing kind of um, the chalice here, uh, one of the chalices <laughs> inside the WeWork story, which involves because Adam Adam's close partner in WeWork was not just his life partner, but his business partner was his his wife, Rebecca. And um, talk about sort of people having special privileges. She is not just Adam's wife, but she is the cousin of, sure, her last name is Paltrow, her last, and her cousin is Gwyneth Paltrow, mm-hmm. right? So you, in your reporting, keep hearing that there's a short film that Adam and Rebecca made back t- 10 years ago, right? In 2010, called Awake. And everyone keeps saying to you, even people who worked on it, they've never seen it, right? Yep. It was it was the holy grail for, for me as I was uh, reporting reporting this book. Reeves, I read that you interviewed 250-ish people for this book. Yep. What was it like? Were people willing to go on the record? And, and ultimately, how did they guide you to the film? Or how did how were you guided to the film? Yeah, early on, this film, Awake, that Rebecca had, had made, um, that she had started in alongside Rosario Dawson and Sean Lennon. It was kind of this mythical thing that I had heard about. And, and Rebecca, like her cousin Gwyneth, had sort of tried to get into acting, hadn't been very successful, and then had sort of self-financed this film. And I would talk to kind of WeWork employees at the time, remember, they remember going to a, uh, a screening for it sort of a few months after after WeWork opened in 2010. It was, I think, I believe it was at the Tribeca Grand Hotel um, in Manhattan. And they kind of remember just this kind of off the wall film, but no one had seen it. And then as I kind of talked to people who who had known the Newmans and who had actually kind of worked on the film, eventually I found found one person who who still had a, a copy that they were um, they were willing to to share with me. So uh, it, it was maybe not the most important detail to dig out in the story, but it was one that I became a little bit obsessed with trying to find. And now we're going to ask you to walk us through what 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 the film is. This is, this is sort of the, the, the Zapruder film <laughs> we work. So it's a confusing thing uh, trying to describe the plot of this twelve to fifteen minute movie would would take me, I think, much longer to try to explain everything that that happens in it. But but the Newmans, uh, you know, were very into spirituality and mindfulness, and Rebecca always had. She had spent time in Tibet, uh, living with the Dalai Lama. And and had had always kind of tried to explore the spiritual side of things, and so you know the the rough plot of this film is Rebecca's character uh, has clearly had some kind of breakdown. Her friend Rosario Dawson is sort of the supporting character in this. Stages intervention, drives her out to the woods, <laughs> tells Rebecca to grab a backpack and get walking into the forest, and uh, eventually she happens upon a tent inside of which is sitting Sean Lennon, who is playing a sort of guru-like figure. They have kind of a conversation that's, uh, I, I don't want to sort of spoil it, but it, it's all about trying to sort of come come to grips with spirituality and, and the world and, and the way to look at it in this kind of brief, to my mind, a, a little bit crazy conversation that ends with Rebecca's body sort of being subsumed in these rays uh, of light. And If I can just pause you for a second. And, 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 and sure. So you're making me think, though, I think back to Sean, Ona Lennon, and as you write in your piece in Airmail this week, Rebecca asks him at one point, who are you? And and what does Sean respond? He just sort of uh, snaps his fingers and, and at the end of the film and just says, I am awake. And that's the end of the movie. Which makes me think, I wonder if anyone has pointed out to Sean Lennon that 
here's the walrus, cuckoo-cuckoo. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is like, his father would be like, dude, what? What are you yeah. doing? Like, yeah. You, you know, and I, th- I think that was kind of like the, the you know, the reason I, I was interested in this story beyond kind of the, the humor of finding this short film is, is you know, it's kind of crazy that there were these big name people in this short film. People who worked on it said it was the most expensive short film they'd ever worked on. It did seem like this kind of all glitz, very little substance kind of thing, which, you know, the metaphor for what ultimately happened with WeWork was just kind of sitting right there. How much money do you think they spent on it? Did you ever hear? I'm going to butcher this, but I want to say it was it was seven figures on a very low seven figures on a 15 minute short film. The rays of light were were just one expense uh, in in the special effects department that uh, most people would would just do without. Adam's kind of gotten off the hook given the news cycle Mm -hmm. in the past seven or eight months. We haven't read as much about him in the wake of the pandemic. Where is he now? What's happening with uh, what's the latest update? You know, he's he's sort of laying low while his uh, theoretical billion dollar exit package from from WeWork sort of makes its way to some kind of uh, conclusion. It's currently tied up with lawyers, and it's kind of unclear exactly what he's going to get from that. It reminds me of like a less talented version of Elon Musk. Way less talented. Yeah, you know, there's all these guys are kind of similar. I mean, you know, the, yeah, the difference is like you know, Elon Elon was a tech guy. Elon was an engineer. He he was he's in the guts of this, and and I I think you know there is this meeting in the book where where Adam very much wanted to work with with SpaceX or or with, with Elon on his on his mission to Mars, and they they met at SpaceX headquarters, and Adam was there to pitch him on you know you get you get the astronauts there, we'll we'll build the community, we'll build the space uh, that will will help them live, and and my understanding is this was a very short meeting and Elon did not take it very seriously and, and instead told Adam that, you know, the hard part is is getting there. We can we can deal with the rest of it. I have an important question for you. I'm excited. What is your superpower? <laughs> I, I think when I, when I answered him, he, he jumped in to say, you know, it's, it's writing and, and I hope it's writing. I hope you're going to do a, a good job, but I don't know what my superpower is. It's a hard one. And I'm going to go ahead and posit that Aaron Sorkin should direct the film version of this, but who do you think should play Adam? I've heard all kinds of, of options. Uh, Adam Driver uh, is one. I mean, a lot of these sort of stem from uh, thinking of, of uh, tall men with, with long hair. Uh, long dark hair. Uh, Keanu Reeves uh, is is one that's uh, been tossed out to me. Cousin Greg from Succession is is currently attached to one of several uh, potential uh, Hollywood productions of this story. So we'll see which tall, long haired, dark haired man wants to take on the Adam Newman mantle. And then who takes on Rebecca? I think Gwyneth. Is, is there would go, be the, the 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 only way to sort of uh, sew up that uh, that circle. That should make for an interesting Thanksgiving. Yeah, right. Very interesting family <laughs> dynamics. Thank you so much, Reeves. Congratulations once again. The book is called Billion Dollar Loser. You can get it wherever fine books are sold. If you're Well, Michael, we have a very special guest today. He has been in the news constantly for the past six months. We can't seem to get enough of him. He can't seem to get enough of us. And he comes to us today in the guise of dark satire, which is just how we like our satire. Um, Michael, welcome our guest, uh, Mr. COVID-19. Yeah, I actually don't even know if that's my name. I don't really speak your language. I'm pretty sure just from the rules of English as I understand them that you should actually be pronouncing it COVID, 
19, oh. so. Oh, I, I'm, uh, apologies, Mr. 19. I, I'm very sorry about that. Um, so, COVID, uh, it seems like you're, do- you're probably the only person right now who's doing very well. How are you? I feel very successful, really, right now. Your fortunes have really climbed, it seems, as, as you reveal in this week's issue of Airmail. I think it, it seems that your time spent with the president at Walter Reed has sort of put you on the ticket now as a running mate. Is that what we understand with this piece in Airmail this week? It's not just the president. I mean, you know, I was I was excited to learn this morning that people um, in Wisconsin have been so welcoming that now the positivity test rate there is, you know, over 25 percent. So I feel very good about my polling numbers, I think, you know, based on the news that I watch. um, And I watch all of the channels because I'm on a lot of remote controls um, and a lot of people's fingers shows me really surging, I think, is the language they keep using. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Look, they love you. They really love you. Yeah, no, I'm 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 doing very well right now. I mean, North Dakota has been an astonishing success for me. From what I understand, it's it's one of the biggest hotspots in the world. And you know, looking today, I see that there's over a half million new cases of me in the world today. Which, you know, the president is is right. We are definitely like rounding the corner and 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 headed into the home stretch. Could you ever have envisioned that you would be this popular? Frankly, I'm I'm surprised that I've been able to gain access to so many people in such a successful country. I think it really says a lot about the American spirit that I've been welcomed into so many homes and I continue to meet new people every day. I know that that Anthony Fauci person seems to think that people should wear masks and I'm you know, it's great for me that people have decided not to listen to science anymore. Yeah, you're reminding me, I think one reason it seems in your running mate speech or uh, in the issue this week is, but you, you seem to have a very good sense of intuition here and, and understand humans because you said you're a lot like Lindsey Graham, that you don't really care about anything as long as it's warm and moist and offers you a chance to get noticed. Yeah, I think both Senator Graham and I share a desire to remain relevant um, in any context. So we're just looking for a way to be in that kind of space, you know, in in the Petri dish that is Washington, D.C. I think he's found, I'll just, we'll call nutrients that allow him to continue to thrive. So, uh, Mr. 19, I mean, in in addition to you're getting a lot of help from Lindsey Graham, I know you also are are close with uh, Jared and Ivanka. Yeah, no, I I definitely consider them good friends. I mean, the entire Trump family has really been very supportive of me. Jared and Ivanka are, are really special. I mean, I, I haven't had a chance yet to thank them publicly for, for taking out billboards in New York that, that really express their support completely. And, you know, I, I think they've done as much for me as anybody besides the president. Yeah, and I think it's it's nice how um you know they they've actually gone out of their way to kind of neutralize the doctors for you. Yeah, I mean the doctors are a real problem, and <laughs> I've been grateful to Doctor Atlas, who pretty much the only one among them who you know has made it clear that you know that as many people 
could have me as as want and and that that would be a good thing it's kind of like i mean the republicans have been trying to craft a health care plan for four years here but i mean seems like you've got real friends in high places in terms of like health care and and what you get access to which is 300 million americans yeah well i have my own plan <laughs> another question for you well uh, excuse, hold on governor DeSantis. yeah oh, no yeah sure high five yeah okay great good to see you good to see all of you here in florida you were saying. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you, I guess. Yeah. You, wow. So you're, yeah, you're down there. Huh? Well, there's a lot of rallies down there, I guess. So it's natural you're down there, right? I'm really everywhere right now. I mean, my schedule, as, as you can probably see, if you, if you watch the news or, or read the report, I mean, I'm meeting people, shaking hands with upwards of 80, 90,000 people a day now as, as the election gets close. Well, wow, tireless campaigning. It's great uh, that you're, you're out there. I'm, yeah, I'm out there. I'm, I'm trying to be as many places as I can possibly be right now. Mr. 19, you may have read today in the news that Tony Fauci predicts, quote, no semblance of normalcy until 2022. How does that make you feel? Great. Really great. You know, that that's always been my goal here is to move us away from normal. I mean, I think who wants that? If you had a kid and, and you said, oh, my kid is normal. I mean, you know, you, you, you want your kids to be, you know, above normal, right? <laughs> you're, you're very humble. You're very humble. Mr. 19. Well, I, I want to be accessible to all of the people, you know, in this country. I know that, you know, billionaires have certainly benefited um, from me being here. And I think that that's great. I, I, you know, I've loved meeting some of them at the White House um, with the president. But, you know, I also enjoy meeting people, you know, in every, every sort of socioeconomic background. I, I've I've tried to to go into places where, you know, a lot of times people are reluctant to go and, and make myself known. You really are the gift that keeps on giving. Thank you. We have great hopes for you this holiday season, too. It feels like this is really going to be your moment. Yeah, I was very excited this morning to hear from some public health experts that, you know, even though we're, we're at 70 or 80,000 cases a day, that it's really likely that, you know, 100,000 Americans a day are going to be, you know, welcoming me into their home this holiday season. And, you know, I, again, this is so far beyond my, my wildest dreams. I would have never thought that, you know, I would find a home in the Republican Party where so many, you know, and it's not just the president, although he's obviously taken the lead, but so many governors um, have decided to, you know, make it possible for me to make the rounds. Okay. Well, you know, on that note, Mr. 19, thank you for joining us. Uh, Michael, I think we're ready to welcome another guest. We've, that, that was actually Scott Z. Burns, fantastic writer, screenwriter, Hollywood type uh, and all around smart guy. We're so happy to have you on the show, Scott. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad that I don't have to continue <laughs> to be the virus. That was, that was really upsetting. Whenever you want to channel the virus for airmail, you're more than welcome because we love the way you do it. Well, I would like nothing more than to never have to write another column like that. The one great thing about your columns, and, and for those of you who've read reading airmail consistently, you know Scott's written three or four of these now where he's channeled uh, a voice, the voice of COVID. And what I love, I think it's the only time I read something about 
COVID or contagion or COVID-19, however this guy wants to be known, and I laugh. Every other time I see those words, I don't laugh. I, I cringe and I, I want to pull the blankets over my head. But you succeeded, I think, in that great tradition of satire, I think is, is a testament to your skills. So thank you for, for finding a way to make us laugh through, through some of this. I wish I could say it's my pleasure, but it's, it's really not. There's absolutely nothing funny about what's, what's going on, but I do think that, you know, if there's, if there's something to be learned, I, I remember reading a study a number of years ago that when people are laughing, they're more receptive to new ideas and it tends to, to open up their, their minds. So. For me, you know, this was, I think, therapeutic to be able to to think and talk about the virus this way. And as you wrote, Contagion, basically a decade ago, right? I don't, I don't know what character from mythology you are, but you've you've basically wrote something that came horribly true beyond your wildest dreams, really, right? It's interesting when I've done this, and I, and I want to say that this is the only interview I've done about the virus without having a scientist with me because I, I don't think people should listen to a screenwriter. I think people should listen to people like Dr. Fauci and, you know, Dr. Brilliant and some of the other people who have been so fearless in making sure that we get the best information to the public. You know, they told me 10 years ago, 12 years ago, that this wasn't a question of if, this was just a question of when. So I'm not surprised that this has happened. I, I didn't think it would happen this quickly, but when you look even at viruses in this century, and we had SARS, which was a coronavirus, we had MERS, which was a coronavirus, it's not really that surprising. And, and you know, people who are much smarter than I am, you know, Lori Garrett, um, who has written quite a bit about this, will say that we're in the age of pandemics. Um, and as we encroach into wild places and as we make it easier to move around the world, we're going to continue to see viruses spread. And the fact that we don't have enough compassion for each other to put on a mask and avoid some of our pleasures for two weeks or three weeks in a row so that we could get this under control is, you know, is laughable. And I guess that's why I ended up trying to make people laugh with the column. This is where I would say something good came out of it. I don't know if that's true. I guess if I if I made some people laugh on some really dark days then then that that helps. I think certainly, you know, throughout history other people have done this whether, you know, it was Jonathan Swift with a modest proposal or some of the writing of Mark Twain um, in our own country. You know, I think there is a legacy of people trying to write satirically about these kinds of moments, not that I deserve to be in the same sentence as Swift or Twain. So I wish I hadn't have just said that. that <laughs> well, was... I'll, I think Ash and I will, I will both second that. Yeah, we both. And third. And, you know, Scott, with all due respect, we really hope that this is your last column as COVID-19. Uh, but I have a feeling we'll be seeing more of you throughout the fall and winter. Well, like I said, nothing would make me happier than it's probably better to stop me before I go on some <laughs> other rant that gets me deported and I'll end up having to write the next one in exile. 
Before we head out, do you have anything that you can recommend to help us get through these next three days? The new David Byrne, Spike Lee directed concert film, Broadway concert of American Utopia. It's a very uplifting, he's got some of his old talking heads numbers in there, which you can't help but get up in front of your TV if you're that kind of person, which I'm not. I just kind of, when I'm out of control, I'm tapping my toe. But it's a show that is filled with love, optimism, and I think just something that's that's going to transport you in this moment and, and I think make you feel good about life right now. We could all use a little more of that. And what about you, A.B.? Well, <sighs> everything I talk about, whenever I have to follow you, Michael, I just look so shallow. I was going to say the hair regime. Ugh. Um, I did watch last night the trial of the Chicago 7, which was... Okay, was it as good as I said it was? It was heaven. I mean, it was interesting to watch that back to back with Borat and see what see the range that the guy has. Yeah, no, I thought he was just brilliant. So the other guy who completely transformed into his role is Jeremy Strong from Secession, who plays Jerry Rubin. And like from Kendall Roy to Jerry Rubin. Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, nice range. I guess they're both are, are kind of um disruptive characters within each show, but just terrific, right? Really fantastic. All right. How can, what's the lightest possible note we can end on? Uh, I got some new jeans from Doen that I love. Uh, I changed up my skincare regime, which I wrote about in the issue this week. Fitner's daughter, two products plus sunscreen. Life is easy. And I don't know, pizza for dinner. You know, my, my diet, honestly, Michael, for the next three days, vanilla ice cream, alcohol, <laughs> and clonopin. That's it. Yeah. A lot of stress eating, right? This is the weird thing, though. I've lost like five pounds and yet I'm eating nothing but simple carbohydrates. It's anxiety weight. It's the only upside to the election. Maybe there's a, a book in that for you. You know, I mean, just sort of like how to how to how to eat what you want and still lose weight. I think I'll call it fret your weight of fabulousness. <laughs> <laughs> Can't sleep? No problem. Plagued by anxiety and doubt? The theme for this week should be feel your worst, look your best. <laughs> Unless you're Mitch McConnell's hands. Yes, unless you're poor Mitch McConnell's hands. All right, Michael. Well, on that note, thank you all for joining us. Vote, vote, vote. We will see you next week. And Michael, will you please read us out? Oh, I'd be delighted to. Morning meeting is produced by Airmail Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Alessandra Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan, and our deputy editors are Nathan King and Chris Garrett. Our CMO is Emily Davis, and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Our theme music is The Cute Monster by Buddy Colette Quintet. I always want to say Buddy Holly Quintet. And special thanks to Joe Perzicki. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please do subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news, which is updated every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram on, at Airmail Weekly. Finally, we'll be back here next Saturday with a new edition of Morning Meeting. Until then, please subscribe to us at Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Most of all, thanks for listening and thank you for joining us. And finally, please vote.